Hi, I'm Bob Eckblad. Welcome to my podcast, Disciple, Word, Spirit, Justice, and Witness. Today I want to talk with you about the gifts of the Holy Spirit, specifically the gift of Word of Wisdom. You know, at the end of Jesus' earthly life, after he resurrected from the dead, he appeared to his disciples. And in Luke chapter 24, verse uh, 48, he says to the disciples, You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my Father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. And then we see also in the book of Acts, right at the beginning of Acts, Jesus repeats something quite similar. You know, he says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And then we see that in chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost comes, the Holy Spirit is poured out on everybody, and people are speaking in tongues that people from different nations who speak different languages are hearing. Um, They're hearing the message of good news, the gospel, proclaimed in their languages from these disciples who, you know, who were humble Galileans, and they're they're shocked by that. And... uh, Later, we see that in Paul's uh, epistle to the Corinthians, Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And and I see spiritual gifts as um, gifts that were released through the Holy Spirit at Pentecost that continue to be given to us through the Holy Spirit that's poured out on us. And uh, so these gifts can be awakened. and, And they're really important for ministry in order for us to be able to minister the way Jesus ministered you know, now in his physical absence. Now, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we have a a description of the gifts of the Spirit. And I want to begin by, um, you know, by looking just right here at the list that is given in um, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7 and following. So there are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit. See, there it is. The, the number one or first on the list of spiritual gifts. And to another, the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. And to another, effecting of miracles. To another, prophecy. And to another, distinguishing of spirits. And to another, varieties of or various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. And so, um, anyway, this is a, a key text that kind of outlines some of these gifts, and there's, and there's other texts that describe other gifts. But it's interesting that word of wisdom is, is one of those gifts that is rarely talked about, really, in the circles that I've, that I've uh, moved in including charismatic circles. Uh, typically, the word of wisdom is viewed as a gift of wisdom related to sort of the how-to of bringing the message to somebody. And it's, uh, it's, re- it's related to wisdom, sort of rooted in an understanding maybe of wisdom in the wisdom traditions of the Old Testament. But it's kind of practical. It's like a practical, practical know-how as to how to uh, go about ministry. However, when we look at the context of 1 Corinthians and just Paul's writings in general, we can see that 
word of wisdom is really linked to something quite specific. It's, it's really linked to the proclamation of the cross, which uh, Paul describes in great detail in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And um, I want to just briefly just mention a few examples of this. And um, I think word of wisdom, in a way, is almost like a synonym for the word of the cross. So it's Logos Sophia's word of wisdom, and Logos, um, you know, of the cross is uh, here. It's described in First Corinthians one eighteen. For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever. I will set aside. And so Paul, right here at the beginning of First Corinthians, uh, describes this. This, the message of the cross as something that appears as foolishness to those that are perishing and counters it. Uh, I mean, there's an opposition that Paul establishes between the, um, you know, the word of the cross and then the wisdom of this world, the wisdom of this of the wise, which Paul describes as uh, being destroyed by God. And this evokes some of the language that we have um you know, in the gospel accounts where, where Paul, or not Paul, where Jesus is described, um, he describes the stone which the builders rejecting as becoming the very cornerstone, you know, a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. And, um, and you know, we have several examples of this in just different gospel accounts, like um, in Luke chapter uh, 20, verse 17, Jesus mentions, uh, he quotes this, the stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will shatter him like dust. So this suggests that um, Jesus himself, his message, which was viewed as uh, foolishness and, um, you know, is something that actually people stumble over, but it will ultimately... Um, you know, vanquish its opponents. And just like in the wisdom of the wise here and the cleverness of the clever is described as being set aside by God. In uh, Paul goes on to talk about, um, for since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God, God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For indeed, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to Jews, a stumbling block, and to Gentiles, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So if the message of um, the cross reflects the wisdom of God, then clearly word of wisdom or utterance of wisdom is related to the proclamation of the means that God uses to bring about salvation through uh, through the Messiah, through Jesus, the Christ, which is uh, redemptive suffering. And I think this is a critical message that needs to be rediscovered today, where um, the church is so polarized and often um, at least white evangelicals and charismatics in the West tend to see the word of wisdom as um, as really not connected to the cross. 
And these many of these same believers uh, are not people that are committed to active nonviolence, the, the kind of nonviolence that Jesus practiced. That was about um, the refusal to, you know, to to kill, to um, to defend against even predators through um, through taking human lives. You know, Jesus's uh, approach of uh, you know of just going to the cross is something that that people just find unrealistic, and often some of the greatest proponents of military interventions and uh, national defense are are Christians, and I think. This message of word of wisdom needs to be recovered and embraced and, um, and you know, pursued, you know, like in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, Paul says, pursue the spiritual gifts, uh, but especially that you might prophesy. And, um, and so, but also we must pursue the word of wisdom. And I want to read to you um, something from my book, Guerrilla Gospel. Reading the Bible for Liberation in the Power of the Spirit. It's a section that I wrote beginning in verse or page 132 about word of wisdom and also here in the beginning word of knowledge. So I quote, um, Paul identifies the word of wisdom as the first God-given manifestation of the Spirit, which suggests its high value in communicating good news. It is paired with word of knowledge, a closely related gift enabling communication. The Greek noun logos, word, that is used in the expressions word of wisdom, logos sophias, and word of knowledge, logos, logos gnosis, is best translated as message or utterance, suggesting inspired revelatory speech. And, um, and just think about first, uh, Acts chapter 1, where Jesus uh, is telling his disciples that they're to proclaim, you know, the gospel to, um, you know, to all the different you know, to the world. And so it's the power of the Holy Spirit comes that enabling them to be witnesses in, um, you know, in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So I keep, uh, I'll continue in my, um, you know, page 133 of my book. The effective transmission of life-giving gospel truths to not yet reached people groups in new settings requires precise revelations and um, articulate and sometimes unprecedented communications. Utterances of wisdom and knowledge can appear when we feel lost or in a perilous state, arriving as communications of divine intelligence that can inform our overall strategy or enable effective combat. These divine communications can function as life-giving ordinance from above, powerful and effective at removing barriers. Yet they appear less as certainties and more as unassuming thoughts that must be spoken if they're to be released, like pulling a pin out of a grenade so that it will detonate. Revelations must be spoken out loud in order to bring immediate and lasting relief. The revelations may come in a stream of successive thoughts that must be spoken one after another, bringing understanding that challenges and replaces fortresses of mind and spirit. Revelations may emerge spontaneously through Bible study participants as they share. However they, however they emerge, these revelations facilitate life-changing encounters between people and God. To me, that's really key. It's uh, We need revelation and um, in order for us to, to speak words that bring hope and life and, um, you know, and, and really advance the gospel. It's not just about us having the most brilliant articulations, but it's really about inspired utterance, 
I think of Jesus's words in Luke 21 to verse 15. He says, like, when you are brought before the authorities, don't worry. Um, he says, I will give. See, there's uh, Jesus, who's the giver of these gifts. I will give you utterance and wisdom, which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. And later, um, after Pentecost, Stephen, when he has hands laid on him, he's described as, uh, you know, as speaking and uh, administering very powerfully. And it says in verse uh, chapter 6, verse 10, but they were unable to cope with the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. And so um, I continue in on page 133 of Guerrilla Gospel. Utterance of wisdom seems to refer specifically to spoken revelation about the mystery of how God saves us through Christ Jesus. Paul makes this connection when he writes that the preaching of Christ crucified is the power of God and the wisdom of God in 1 Corinthians 1, 23 to 24. And um, he describes that as something that saves those who believe in verse 21. Yet belief needs to be inspired by the revelation of this wisdom, which is not of this age, nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, 1 Corinthians 2, 6. Paul emphasizes that divine wisdom is hidden, inaccessible to the rulers of this age. For if they had understood, understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. And that's something Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 8. So this hidden wisdom is a secret weapon for Christian combatants. And to access it, we need to be able to recognize when God is speaking. So I continue um, a word of wisdom often comes as a special insight into a verse or story that reveals Jesus's unique way of being Messiah. And um, I want to, before I give an example of a Bible study that I led where I, I think we experienced word of wisdom, I want to look briefly at 1 Corinthians 1, where Paul says some really inspiring um, things about about what is available to us, you know, how we can tap into this revelation. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, um, verse 4, Paul says, I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given you in Christ Jesus, that in everything you were enriched in him. Wow. Imagine in everything being enriched, you know, in Christ Jesus. And then he goes on, in all speech and all knowledge, so um, we have this opportunity to be enriched by Jesus in all of our speech and all of our knowledge, even as the testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we need this revelation. We need to be able to access this revelation. And he goes on in verse 8, who will also confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So this is really about a relationship with Jesus. And um, when we're in relationship with the living, resurrected Jesus through the Holy Spirit, we have this opportunity to receive, you know, revelation that um, will allow us to communicate these mysteries, understand them first ourselves, and then be able to communicate them. And hopefully that revelation will, will pass to those that are listening or participating in our Bible studies. So here's an example of a Bible study. 
In a recent Bible study on Luke 12, 35-38, with a group of male prisoners, I began by reading verses 35-36. to Be dressed in readiness and keep your lamps lit. Be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast, so that they may immediately open the door to him when he comes and knocks. So we tried talking about how they might ready themselves if they were slaves of someone coming back from a wedding. But it's such a foreign scenario that it was much easier to discuss how they'd ready themselves if they knew that a guard was coming to knock on their cell door to move them to court, perhaps to another cell block, or to transport them in a van um, to take them off to prison. The men described feeling powerless before someone with greater authority. The men assumed that this text was leading to a familiar version of Christian faith, that it's important to be ready to serve a powerful God whenever you're called or to be acceptable in case Jesus returns so that you'll be taken and not left behind. Yet as we carefully read and reflected on the next verse, some surprising revelation came. Quote, Blessed are those slaves whom the master will find on the alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. That's Luke 10, 37. So after defining gird as dress, I invite the men to reread the verse and then describe in their own words what the master will do for those who open the door. He comes in to serve them a meal, someone said. So I ask, if your boss or a guard here at the jail came to your door and knocked and you opened the door, and then the guard came in to serve you a meal, would you be surprised? Yes, they replied, and it wouldn't happen, someone stated matter-of-factly. Then we talked about how in this parable Jesus really challenges people's understanding of God and of Jesus himself. I shared how in the Gospel of Matthew Jesus says of himself, The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's Matthew 20, verse 28. The idea that Jesus pursues us like someone knocking on our door to come closer to us and humbly serve us is completely new for people who are used to thinking of God as a distant ruler or law enforcer. Even more surprising is that Jesus gives his life as a ransom, posting himself as bail so that we can be free. Yet when I'm sitting at a table with them in jail, this message becomes more believable. Guiding the men back to the beginning of the passage where Jesus talks about being ready with a lamp lit for his return, I ask the men, if we know that Jesus is coming to draw closer to us and to serve us, does that make you want to be on the lookout for him? Some of the men stated their desire to be on the lookout for Jesus openly, while others communicated with nods. Still other men looked at me like they'd like to believe this could be true, but they're afraid to hope and then get disappointed. Then I shared how at the end of the Bible, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and will dine with him and he with me. Revelation 3.20 How might we know when Jesus is knocking at our door? I asked. What might it look like to actually open the door and let him in? Though people weren't sure, they openly stated their need for and attraction to Jesus 
and their desire to let him into their lives. We closed our time together by reading the final verse. Whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third and finds them so, blessed are those slaves. It's Luke 10, 38. I invite the men to pray with me that we would hear his knock, recognize his presence, and welcome him in. So the word of wisdom is manifest whenever we believe in, look out for, recognize, and welcome Jesus as a self-emptying, pursuing, and serving master. As Paul writes, this word enables us to perceive, quote, things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of men and women. All that all that God has prepared for those who love him. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 9-10. So Jesus' means of saving the world as God's Son and Israel's Messiah reflects this superior wisdom, which is not of this world. In Christ, God emptied himself, taking on the form of a slave, being made in the likeness of a human, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on a cross. Philippians 2, 5-8 God himself reveals this divine wisdom, opening disciples' eyes, just as the resurrected Jesus opened Cleopas' and his companions' eyes after explaining the scriptures to them on the road to Emmaus in Luke twenty four thirty one. The Spirit is still available now to enable us to see how Moses, the prophets, and other scriptures bear witness to how Christ was to suffer. And when revelation happens, we can experience what these early disciples said after Jesus vanished from their sight. Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? Luke twenty four thirty two. The epistle of James differentiates divine wisdom from the wisdom of this world. And I'm going to read from James 3, 13 to 18. Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly natural, demonic, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and every evil thing. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering, without hypocrisy, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So when we share messages of wisdom from above, we are sowing in peace and will see fruits of righteousness and justice. Now, <clears throat> these days when Christians are too often known as um, advocates for military interventions and, you know, we have this very violent past of, you know, Christian history with the Crusades, with, you know, with... Uh, colonization, you know, um, so many wars have, have happened with the blessing of church leaders, including, 
you know, the Putin's uh, invasion of Ukraine and then also the Ukrainians' defense of Ukraine against, against Russia. You know, we have um, way too often Christians just using the wisdom of this world, you know, human wisdom, and really confusing that with this radical and subversive message of, um, of Jesus and Jesus' gospel. And um, Jesus is the Messiah of God. And a follower of Jesus, someone who calls herself, himself a Christian, is someone who embraces Jesus' means of resisting evil and combating evil and actually defeating evil, which is through suffering love, you know, through emptying himself and giving himself. And how are we to embody this? You know, how are we to live this out today in our lives? You know, I think of um, how Jesus embodied it and the way he described his way of being a Messiah, which deeply offended his disciples and I think continues to offend people today. If we look at Matthew 16, um, 23, let's just read an example of this. Um, You know, Jesus is on his way up to Jerusalem and he's telling his disciples. um, So verse 21 From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Now, this was not, you know, what Jewish people of the day were expecting of the Messiah at all. And um, so this is, once again, um, Matthew 16, now verse 23. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, God forbid it, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me, for you are not setting your mind on God's interests. And we could say God's wisdom, but on man's. And then Jesus goes on to make it clear that um, this is not just applying to himself as the one and only uh, Savior who would go to the cross. But Jesus says to his disciples, If anyone wishes to come after me, He must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So see this word of wisdom, which is manifested in the cross, is something that we're all called to continue to continually practice. And this and this the content of this is everywhere in the gospel accounts where we see Jesus choosing to love his enemies. You know, from the cross he cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. You know, Jesus calls us to bless those who curse us, to, you know, to turn the other cheek, to love our enemies. And um, we need to really be deliberately studying the Gospels to, to discover and rediscover, you know, what it means to follow Jesus in this way of the cross. So he goes on, um, he must deny himself, she must deny herself and take up her cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his or her life will lose it. But whoever loses his life or her life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man or a woman if he or she gains the whole world but forfeits her soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will then repay every man and woman according to their deeds. 
And anyway, this, so the deeds here are really in alignment, you know, with this way of suffering love, this way of Jesus, which, which really looks like weakness and looks like foolishness. And I want to close by just looking at how Paul describes his own ministry in the same, in the same sort of way. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 2, verses 1 and following. And when I came to you, brothers and sisters, I did not come with superiority of speech or of wisdom, proclaiming to you the testimony of God. So, so it's not about just, you know, power, you know, sort of a power evangelism, at least in, in terms of just being ultra articulate and, um, and even, um, you know, convincing in a rationalistic way. Paul goes on and says, For I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling, and my message and my preaching were not in persuasive words of wisdom, but in the demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your word so that your faith would not rest on the wisdom of men and women, but on the power of God. And uh, and he goes on right after that, for we do speak wisdom among those who are mature of wisdom, however, not of this age nor of the rulers of this age who are passing away, but we speak God's wisdom in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God predestined before the ages to our glory, the wisdom which none of the rulers of this age has understood. For if they had understood it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. For it is written, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of men and women. All that God has prepared for those who love him. For God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. So may we welcome the Holy Spirit's searching the depths of God and the depths of our own spirits, and may we welcome this revelation of word of wisdom and uh, come to pursue and seek and, um, you know, to really enter into understanding these mysteries and, you know, which we need God to give them to us. And, and that's what it means to be a disciple, is to be a learner, to be a pupil, to be a student of Jesus about these mysteries. So um, let's just pray. So Father in heaven, thank you that you offer to give us revelation and that you invite us to follow in the way of Jesus and to come in and live and proclaim in that same weakness and vulnerability. And um, depending upon you, God, our Father, and the Holy Spirit, to uh, confirm the words that we proclaim with the signs that follow. Help us and just grant us revelation and, uh, and a hunger for the truth. In Jesus' name, amen.